I'm Massimo Bottura. This is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs. I think we're all sort of in shock and awe that we, you know, just, it's almost like it, it just fell off of a cliff. I mean, we were still doing restaurant business two weeks ago. The date is March 26, 2020, and that is Farmer Lee Jones of the Chef's Garden in Milan, Ohio. Our guest today on this special report of Andrew Talks to Chefs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman. As always, my great thanks to Sam Pellegrino for covering the production costs of these special reports. We would not have been able to deliver them to you without them. Before jumping in today to our interview with former Lee Jones, just a few quick things to share. About an hour after last night's episode with Kat Kinsman dropped, I got an email from Aurora. Again, we are only sharing first names. And I was pretty floored by it. It reads in part, Andrew, I've been a fan of your podcast from the beginning. The special reports have become something to look forward to daily as I clean up after cooking myself dinner with a renewed love for my home kitchen. I loved hearing from a personal hero of mine, Dave Barron, who continues to lead and persevere so thoughtfully. And tonight, I was particularly moved by your conversation with Kat Kinsman. In January, I left my job as the GM of a wonderful neighborhood restaurant and moved to pursue some lifelong dreams in restaurants. Now I find myself alone in a new city, locked down in my apartment, and so far from my restaurant and biological families. Like most of us in this business, I have been completely committed to my work, both in the hours I put in and in finding a sense of purpose and caring for others and creating spaces for human connection. Two weeks of solitude have been filled with a lot of reflection, calling representatives, breaking down wondering if I just spent my life savings to move for a new job while the only work I have ever known feels implausible for a long time and possibly forever right now. Hearing Kat remind us, you are a chef, a server, a bartender, was exactly what I needed. I had been looking around and seeing friends work from home with resentment, considering if I had made different choices, I wouldn't feel so expendable right now. Kat reminded me that I am still the professional I am, and your podcast always reminds me that there is value in this work. Thank you very much, Aurora. These emails mean a lot to me. I hope it's okay that I'm sharing them with all of you. I hope you don't mind me taking a moment at the top of the show. Please do be in touch anytime. You can leave a voicemail or send us an email via the links at the bottom of the web pages at andrewtalkstochefs.com. I would also like to suggest, now that we have six episodes under our belt as of tonight's show, that if you are finding these reports helpful, please tell your friends who you think might benefit from them. However, you do that kind of thing by email, text, social media posts, however you like. 
They will continue coming for at least another four weeks, and we'd like to reach as many people as possible. Okay, today's guest is farmer Lee Jones of the Chef's Garden in Milan, Ohio. The Chef's Garden has been focused on providing world-class produce to chefs around the country and the world since 1983. With the shuttering of restaurants in more and more cities across the country and the globe, their customer base has dried up temporarily, almost overnight, and they have shifted to a focus on shipping to at-home customers with a line of boxes with names such as Immunity Booster, Anti-Aging, Detoxification Mix, and so on. If you'd like to learn more about those, the place to go is chefs-garden.com. Again, that is chefs, C-H-E-F-S, dash, garden.com. This new program is essentially their version of the same pivot that a lot of restaurants have taken to maintain some portion of their business and take care of their employees at this absolutely surreal and frightening time in human history. I have known Farmer Lee for many years. I'm very fond of him and many of the people at the Chef's Garden, and I asked him to come on to talk about how this moment has hit him and the rest of his team at the Chef's Garden. Here is our conversation. Can I call you my old friend at this point? You sure can. All right, my old friend. We've known each other. We have probably only seen each other maybe eight times ever, but we've had some meaningful time together in New York and at the farm. The story of your farm at this moment, I and it's why I wanted to talk to you, is I just think it's so interesting and, and not in a good way, to be honest, right now. Well, maybe I should let you tell it, but you all basically made a decision to transition from one type of farm to another type of farm. Was it 83 that that happened? 83, that's right. Why don't you briefly tell what kind of farm the Jones family farm used to be and then what the chef's garden is? Well, we're vegetable farmers, and we're in an amazing microclimate. We're 2.9 miles inland from Lake Erie, and it's some of the richest sandy loam in the world. The glaciers were extremely heavy as they got closer to the lake. In fact, the, the ground that we farm on is all old lake bottom soil, truly some of the richest, richest soil in the world. And at one point, there were 330 vegetable growers here. And my dad was in what they called truck farming. Um, he grew about, at the end, 1,200 acres of fresh market vegetable. You, you started planting in the spring from the first moment you could get in the ground, and you continued to plant to the last day in the fall that you could, could possibly make a crop. And so if you can imagine, if you started the 30th of March and the first crops were ready 45 or 60 days later, Every single day, you had product that was ready to go to market, and you harvested it, you packed it, cooled it, shipped it, and you continued to do that every single day all the way to the end of the season. You know, ironically, we made a transition because we were forced to. Uh, interest rates at 21%. It's interesting that now they're, gonna, they're talking about 1% interest. But in the late 70s, early 80s, interest rates hit 21% for a couple of days or for a couple of months, 22%. And uh, we had a hailstorm and it wiped out all the crops. And I stood at 19 years old, shoulder to shoulder with my mother and father and brother and sister, all of our neighbors and all of our competitors and everybody that was there to celebrate our failure. And they 
auctioned every single thing off on the farm right down to my mother's car and our house. And we were fortunate early on to, we started over. We started back over at farmer's markets and we met a, a European influence chef. Her name was Iris Balin. And she encouraged us to grow product for flavor, grow them for the integrity, grow them without chemical. And she felt strongly that there might be enough chefs that would um, support that that methodology. Obviously, she was right because we see the explosion of small family farms and restaurants using those products. And it's an, it's been an, an amazing, you know, 35, 37 years. Now, is that chef that you just mentioned, is that the, that is also, is that the woman that in my brain will forever be the squash blossom lady? It is the squash blossom lady. <laughs> yeah. So, so this may I? I just decided I love this story. Sure. As I under, if I'm remembering correctly, you told me this story years ago. But you know, this all dovetails with a period of history that I'm personally in love with. Wrote a whole book about it. But this was the moment when this was, uh, you know, when Jeremiah Tower was getting ready to open Stars the next right. year. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jonathan Waxman, who was like in love with baby vegetables, was coming to New York. Um, obviously, Alice Waters was in full flight, and and all these people were looking for the kind of food that most most of them who they got that they had been turned on to the caliber of food stodging in French kitchens and whatnot, and. And this this chef who you just mentioned was at a farmer's market going stall to stall asking people for squash blossoms now because she knew them from Italy. Um, and my understanding, as it's been told to me, because I've asked other people about this, was that most of the farmers – you know, thought she was a little kooky or thought that was strange or why does she, what does she want that for? That's very, um, that's very eccentric. We right? did too. We thought she was crazy. You guys did too. Yeah. But who was it? Was your, was it your dad who, who said, let's give it a whirl or? No, he, he was, you know, he, he said the lady is crazy. She'll never be back. And she was wrong. She was back and she was persistent. And so finally I brought some in sheepishly. And when she saw them, she started screaming. Next thing you know, there were about eight farmers that ran over to see what the problem was. And, of course, I was beat red because I was embarrassed because all the other farmers were like, what are you picking the squash at that size for? You know that they, you know, and she just was ecstatic over them. Well, this is, again, this is, you know, in those days, people were really having to figure out how to create what this supply chain that is now taken for granted. But the, the, so long story short, you all made a decision to shift from, what would we call it, Lee, a commercial farm? Sure. I mean, we were commercial vegetable farmers, high volume, low margin. Right. And you decided to switch gears and start trying to very deliberately provide things that chefs around the country and we're talking about some legends now. Charlie Trotter was an early supporter of the Chef's Garden. Uh, the late Jean-Louis Paladin was a big supporter of the Chef's Garden. People of that caliber. You started from Ohio shipping the, the caliber of, of raw ingredients that they were looking for. And, and, and I'm assuming part of that meant that you would sort of uh, tailor your crops and what you were trying to grow to meet things that they were asking for or looking for. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, they were, they were our mentors and teachers because we were in a world we knew nothing about. We knew how to grow vegetables, but what they were asking for and the way they were asking for them to be grown 
was different to us, but it really kind of resonated most with my dad because, you know, he had remembered a day in America where small farms farmed and rebuilt soil naturally rather than chemically. And they were, you know, that was a concern to them. Growing for the flavor per mouthful rather than tons per acre was really critical. You all have made this into a, a, a successful business. You, you're known, and, and I have to say, for people who don't know Farmer Lee Jones by name, you, you're, you're very recognizable. You, you are known by your signature overalls and your white dress shirt and your red bow tie. Um, that's another great story. Why don't you explain where that comes from? Because it comes from a very, um, it comes from a, a real American tradition uh, conveyed to you through, was it the movie or the book, Grapes of Wrath? Uh, well, the Grapes of Wrath, John Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath was one of those books that was mandatory reading in high school. And um, it really was a gripping story to me. And little did I know that you know, just three years later, we would be living that, that story. But yeah. uh, there's actually, if you're, you know, if, if listeners have a, a day, maybe right now is a good time, but um, on Netflix, you can get an old black and white. And if, if the listeners remember who Henry Fonda was, he was about 21 years old and he was the main character in this movie. So that gives you an idea how old the movie is, but it's in black and white, but um, it talks about the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl and the the plight of Americans. And it's ironic that here we are, you know, with 1% interest right now, but with America really potentially, you know, looking at a similar situation. Um, hopefully we move past this and we don't hit that that point. But in the book, Many farmers are displaced. They lose their land. They can't make their payments. The banks take the the farms over, and sometimes three generations are loaded on one old jalopy of a vehicle, and they're just and everything that they own on this vehicle. And grandma and grandpa sitting in a rocking chair, if you will, on the back of a truck with grandkids and the dog and everything that they own, and looking for work and looking for a place to start over and just trying to survive. And there were some large plantations and, and farms, orchards that really took advantage of these, you know, thousands of people that were hungry for work. And uh, so they would, they would advertise and the word would get out that there was a job. And maybe it was someplace that needed 150 and, you know, a thousand would show up and they would get paid a dollar and a half a day and if they wanted to stay on the camp and get a hot shower and a meal, you know, they would charge them 75 cents or a dollar. So they would make very, very meager amounts of money. They were, they were worn, they were torn, they were broken in many ways, but they maintained their pride. And there's a particular scene on a Saturday night inside of one of the camps. And even though the farmer's overalls were worn and torn, they were clean and they had white shirts and overalls and bow ties on. And they, they, um, they had a square dance. And despite all the things that were against them, they held their heads high and they had their square dance and maintain their dignity. And so for every person that ever wanted to have a farm or dreamed of having a farm or every person that's lost a farm or everybody that has a grandparent and remembered a farm and, it's, it really stands for, you know, 
the farm, the small family farms in America. It's a pair of overalls, a white shirt, and a red bow tie. And I do not own another pair of pants. I have 18 pairs, and I wear them to church on Sunday, funerals. I've uh, actually been asked. I I don't know if you knew this, Andrew. I'm an ordained minister. Um, I did not know that. And you, too, for $30 in an internet can be one. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I've married several people well, that, and uh, that ruined the mad that ruined the magic of yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, sometimes reality is uh <laughs> is tough to swallow, isn't it? Right. But uh so I you know, there's another there's an old saying on the farm that you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. And you know, on my best day I couldn't put a fifteen hundred dollar suit on and look nearly as handsome as you. Or any of the other, you know, folks at the James Beard events, everybody takes advantage to gussy up a little bit. And I have been known to throw a suit jacket on over my overalls and white shirt and bow tie if I had to really dress up. But guys will come up and whisper to me, say, gosh, you look so comfortable in those. I wish I could pull that off. So. Uh-huh. You do. I, I mean, you do. I mean, I've seen you at after parties at three in the morning in those overalls. Well, thank goodness. Uh, I, <laughs> if you don't see him and if you don't see me in them, I'm probably really in trouble. <laughs> One of the things that kind of breaks my heart a little for the challenge you guys are up against is and I want to I want to get into how it's I want to get into how it's sort of made its way to the farm. Right. Because a lot of your clients are in the, the big markets, right, the major markets, not exclusively. But a lot of them are. They're around. They're all around the world. I have to say. But you know, I've toured that farm twice. I think had the guided tour, right, and right. I mean, you all have done so much. You, look, your family. Ha- I don't want to psychoanalyze, but your family. You know, as a lot of people in farming have. You know, you got you had that that awful story. You know, the hailstorm episode that you talked about. Um, uh, you know, you know what it's like to lose the farm. You all have done so much in the way of putting safeguards in place and whatever technology is available there. Um, your cleaning processes of how food goes out of there to make sure, you know, that it's as safe as possible when it reaches, uh, the, the, I don't know what word you use, the customer or the consumer or the, the chef on the other end of the, at the other end of the supply chain. Um, and then this thing happens, which, I mean, it's the same for all of us in some respects. We, you know, people who've been living their lives responsibly are, are hit the same as people who haven't, but to put all of that into this business of yours and not have it be a natural disaster, you know, but to have it be this, this, you know, pandemic and not even to have your, um, uh, you know, to have your immediate area become, you know, like a major cluster of this thing, but to just be in the supply chain that feeds, you know, to restaurants. I mean, that is, is that an accurate summation of the, the picture? It really is. I mean, it's for us, it feels like deja vu. Um, you know, we're our first and foremost concern is with all the folks throughout the whole world and, and obviously our love of chefs and we've made so many friends like you and, you know, Charlie and Danielle and Thomas Keller. And I mean, just literally we've been blessed to have met some just amazing folks um, in the last 37 years. And our hearts just ache for folks and, you know, it's just heartbreaking. And obviously we're the, the, heartbroken over the the restaurants being closed but more importantly we're concerned about the safety of 
so many of our friends and, and folks that we don't even know. But um, yeah, it's just, uh, I think we're all sort of in shock and awe that we, you know, just, it's almost like it, it just fell off of a cliff. I mean, we were still doing restaurant business two weeks ago and, you know, we have always felt like, you know, my dad has a saying that we can't, can't be all things to all people. And so we have made our focus 100% focused on trying to take care of the needs of the chefs and really being partners to them. And, you know, who'd have thunk that every relationship that you have that owns restaurants or works for great restaurants or hotels or private chefs are, are basically, you know, just dead in the water at the exact same moment. Uh, it's, um, it's a scary thought. How, how did it hit you all there on the farm? In other words, I mean, you're there in, in uh, Milan. Oh, am I pronouncing it right, Milan? Well, you know, if, it, if you, you want to correct me, all fancy, you can call it, you know, Milan, like Italy. But I thought that was wrong. That's what I used yeah. to say. And then I heard everyone on the farm saying it differently. Well, us, us, us locals call it Milan. Of course, it's, it's the birthplace of Thomas Edison. Uh, that's our claim to fame here. Being where you are, okay, with with you know your clients being kind of out, you know, out there. I don't mean out there like weird. I mean out there, just you know, w- way off on the edges of the country for the most part, although not exclusively. Um, uh, and in other and in other countries, how did the kind of rolling realization of what was happening hit you all? In other words. Was it one fell swoop? Was it a gradual tapering off? Like, was it the inverted, you know, they talk about the curve with the illness and cases. Was it sort of the inverted version of the curve? Was it like one day bad and then a few days later exponentially worse in terms of what kind of orders were coming in? How did it, how did it hit you? I mean, it was, I mean, you know, the areas that were hit the hardest, you know, were closing up and, you know, so we saw business go down from that and, you know, New York close up and then Illinois close up and Ohio close up. And then, of course, we do a lot with Disney. And then when Walt Disney closed, it was just sort of a an accumulative effect. And I don't think any of us really just knew how by storm this thing was going to take us. And yeah, I hope that, you know, that we have a clear view of it today. I, I my hope is, is that this, you know, this is the worst that it gets. And, you know, but I fear that, you know, we've got a, a battle in yet for a few weeks or months before this is over. And just hope that, hope that we can all get through this and this social distancing and all of this that, you know, we're checking everybody's temperature here on the farm. When they come into work, everybody's temperature is checked. And good. So, you know, so uh, we've ramped it up. I mean, sterilization and, I mean, you know we're clean, but boy, it's it's sparkling and you know just extra extra precautions right now. Let's talk about the 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 happier side of this, which is you all. I think am I? I don't think I'm mistaken, am I, Lee? I believe on your website, at least for several years, there's always been a the the ability to order. Wasn't there like one sort of assortment or something you could order, but it was just kind of buried in the site. You guys didn't really promote it. It was just kind of there. That's right. We always kind of had an inkling that, you know, it was a direction that we would like to go, 
but we just, we never, it was there. It's like you said, it was there, but it was almost buried and there were a handful of people that, and it was usually somebody that had eaten at one of the restaurants that we work with. They, maybe they ate at Danielle's or something and, you know, they were really into great food. We ended up just putting it up and it wasn't anything we ever really promoted. But now you're all in on this for the time being. This is your version of, you know, the the restaurants around the country that have shifted to takeaway, right? Or delivery. This is your version of that. And I'm looking here as we talk, you guys now have a, you have a line of, of, of produce boxes. You have the introduction box, you have best of the season. You have the immunity booster. You have the subscription box. I assume that's something that comes every X number of weeks. The names of these boxes really kind of allude to, we've really felt like, you know, health and wellness was an area that we needed to be moving into. And we've put in an R&D lab. And we actually have five scientists on staff and have have been um, working extremely hard to understand what we're doing. We have a saying of healthy soil, healthy vegetables, healthy people. And it's been a concern for us to see the healthcare literally just grow out of control as with a 3000% increase in kidney, liver, heart, cancer disease, attention deficit disorder, autism, childhood obesity, allergies. We believe that there's a direct correlation between the way that vegetables and food is being grown today and the health or the lack thereof of our nation. And and I don't fault other farms for growing the way they do because the model is set up to produce the most tons per acre that you can, keep your cost as low as possible, and produce a lot of tons and be able to produce enough to stay in business. It's all built around growing large volumes of food cheap. And in America, we produce food cheaper than any other country in the world as it relates to our income. Yet we have the highest healthcare in the world. And so for the last 37 years, chefs have said the three most important things to us are flavors most important, flavor second most important, and flavor is third most important. And so that's been our focus is flavor, but doing that naturally, not GMOs, not chemically, but trying to, and in, in many ways, going back to the way that our great-grandparents farmed. If you think about the way they farmed, they farmed without chemical. They really, truly rotated the land in thirds. A third of it was in cover crops. A third of it was growing food to feed the animals. And third was going to grow products to take to market. And then they rotated. Now, farmers today rotate, but what they do is they rotate between corn, and I'm talking about field corn that turns into cereals and corn syrups and all of that. I mean, corn seems to be in every box that you open because they, they can produce it cheap. So it's a rotation between corn, wheat, and soybeans. And so there's not that rotation like our great-grandparents did where you let land sit fallow. So we've always been thinking that this health and wellness was kind of an end run for us. And we've been working on that. So consequently, you see the names of these boxes. We actually hooked up with these guys in Cleveland. Uh, uh, he's Dr. Bob, and they call themselves the drugless doctors. And the idea is it's more of an Eastern culture versus Western culture. Western culture is you get sick, they give you a medicine to try and get rid of it. You get the penicillin when you've got the infection. 
the Eastern culture is get your body in balance to defend against the disease in the first place. And that's really kind of what these guys' theory is, this Dr. Bob and the drugless doctors. And they came to us and said, you know, we live this way. We eat the healthiest food that we can find. And they came and they toured and we shared with them boxes to take home. And like two days later, they called and they're like, oh, my God, we have been seeking out the healthiest, the best tasting vegetables for our entire lives. And this is hands down the best stuff we've ever eaten. We feel we physically feel the difference when we eat this food. And they said, we want to supply this to our customers or our patients. And they have a location in, uh, just outside of Cleveland and Westlake. And uh, they have a location in Naples. And so they actually helped us come up with these the names of these boxes. And we've done quite a bit of research for the anti-aging, for the optimal health box and the detox box and, and the immune boosting box. And there's specific vegetables that have properties within them that help boost your immune, immune system. And this was something that was kind of on a two to three year plan. And we, you know, just in the middle of the pandemic said, this is our only option. We've got to do this right now. And so... Basically, we've tried overnight to create a nationwide home delivery um, program to be able to get product to people. And there is a there is a real need, I think, and people are interested in getting product delivered where they know who's grown it, where it's come from, how it's grown. So these are all on the site. Uh uh, I, I will say, and I'm not just saying this cause you know, you and I have a relationship, but I've been to the farm, I think at least three times now, maybe four, maybe four now. Um, and you all, you guys also are also very nice. Whenever someone comes and does an event, you then send them a box of produce, um, as a thank you. We do. Yeah. And, and, the, and the, the flavor of this, of your stuff is, I mean, it's as good as it gets. I mean, it really is. Um, so I, I know it's for reasons you wish were not upon us, but for people who are about to discover you, I mean, let's face it. Most people aren't coming to Milan, Ohio and visiting the chef's garden, right? This is a new opportunity for people. Um, and I hope they take advantage of it. You know, one of the things we're going to do, we weren't certainly weren't prepared for home delivery boxes. And so we've gotten creative. We had lots of root crops that we did winter storage on. And so beets and carrots are something that are certainly a part of it and radishes, but um, we're very quickly rolling into our our spring spinach and our wintered over spinach, and we're changing our planning schedule right now. And you know, micros and edible flowers are not something that's necessarily the forte in in one of these boxes. Um, but we're putting back on the list sweet corn, which is we haven't grown in thirty five years, and you know, some of the things that maybe are a little bit more recognizable. People, I think, want comfort food right now, and we will try and adapt these boxes, and it really will be like the boxes will change up. So the subscriptions are fun because it's never going to be the same box, and so they'll, they'll, they'll change. Mother Nature provides such a natural rhythm for producing a, a menu, and if you let Mother Nature, you know, tell you what you're going to eat, I think that it's just a, a healthier way to go. So the boxes will evolve as the season evolves. And, you know, so you'll have a spring box, you'll have summer boxes, you'll have fall boxes, winter boxes, and it's just an exciting way to eat. Well, I will have the link to your program on the episode description for this show uh, on all the, all the podcast platforms and on the episode 
page for this show on andrewtalkstochefs.com. I'll have some pictures and some links to the boxes. So anyone who's interested, go to those places and you should have an easy time finding them. And Lee, it was great to hear your voice. Obviously, I wish it was under different circumstances. Andrew, thank you so much for having me on. We just have so much respect and admiration for you. And um, my hope is that you and everyone that's listening to this is healthy and safe and that we get through the other side of this as quickly as possible. And God bless all of you and all of us and just pray for everybody's safety. Thank you for the opportunity, Andrew. From the bottom of my heart, I'm just so grateful. My pleasure. Anytime. And all the same to you. And uh, I look forward to seeing you when we're able to do that again. Thank you so much. And that's our show for today. Thank you again to Farmer Lee Jones for joining us on the pod. And again, if you would like to peruse and or purchase those boxes, please visit chefs-garden.com. Chefs, plural, C-H-E-F-S, dash, garden.com. The link will also appear on all podcast platforms that allow it and on the episode page for today's interview at andrewtalkstochefs.com. We are now, as you know, promoting one restaurant industry relief or advocacy effort on every show. Tonight, instead of a particular organization, how about you buy a gift certificate to a restaurant that you would like to see survive this crisis? I don't have a unified organization at which you can do that, but that is my suggestion for you for the day, and that's what will appear on the episode page for this show at andrewtalkstochefs.com. Thank you to Wild Turkey Surprise for today's opening music and to After School Special for the music you're hearing right now. Please seek those groups out online and enjoy more of their music. Thank you to our engineer, Margaret Kelly, for mixing these special reports. Our thanks to Sam Pellegrino for making these special reports possible. I would love to hear from you about any topics you might like to hear covered in these reports or suggestions you have for how they could be better or more useful. Please message me at Chef Podcast on Instagram or shoot me an email or voicemail via the links at the bottom of the andrewtalkstochefs.com website. Thank you all for listening. Take care of yourselves. Take a breath. And we will all get through this together. See you tomorrow.